0: G'day and welcome to the Patently Strategic Podcast, where we discuss all things at the intersection of business, technology, and patents. This podcast is a monthly discussion amongst experts in the field of patenting. It is for inventors, founders, and IP professionals alike, established or aspiring. And in this month's episode, we explore patent anatomy. It's been said that the public body of patent literature is one of the great libraries of the world. But what's actually in a patent? What can you learn from reading one? And where do you even find them in the first place? For answers to these critical questions and more, I sat down with patently strategic regulars David Cohen, principal at Cohen Sciences, and Ashley Sloat, president and director of Patent Strategy here at Aurora. In our discussion, we break down the key anatomy, cut through the terminology, and provide tips on how you can use this information for your competitive advantage. All right, uh, David and Ashley, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, Really been looking forward to this episode. Patenting, Patenting can be such an essential part of the early startup years. Uh, but it's it's admittedly a very complex domain, it has a lot of special vocabulary. And all of that can make it seem a little bit less accessible than it was it was designed to be. Um, and in, in putting these questions together for the two of you kind of had an epiphany. And it was that if I had, had the answers to these questions much sooner in my in my own foray into this world, that a lot of things would have made a, a lot more sense uh, much earlier on. And I was a bit hesitant, we were a bit hesitant calling this one uh, patent anatomy because you know I, I don't know what the two of you, but the the only thing I wanted out of my anatomy and physiology class was me. Um, but it, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it really is through the through the study and the structure of the of the patents, specifically the applications, um, you know, and their parts that, you begin to more clearly see, uh, you know, how things come together and and how the world of of patenting works Um, that ended up kind of being a nice, a nice surprise uh, for me in this one. So before we start diving into the, the actual application anatomy, I think it makes sense to start a little bit zoomed out uh, with the application itself, Uh, just so everyone's starting from the same place. What is a a patent application?
1: Okay. Well, the ultimate goal of a patent application is to is to have a patent issued and so the patent application is is basically you know a letter to the patent office that describes the invention and at the end uh recites some claims that the um The inventor believes that he's entitled to so that that's the short answer it it it, it's a letter to the patent office and the applicant the the inventor wants to get a a, a patent and he uh he or she or they um recite claims they believe they're entitled to and then what ensues you know over a a protracted period of time is a conversation between the patent office and examiner, and the patent office and and the applicant, and that that process is called prosecution. So, so that's that's the short answer. So I'll, I'll just I'll just go on a bit. I mean, a, a patent application. You want to get a patent. Well, what's a patent? A patent. A patent is basically a deal between the applicant and the United States government in 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 which if the patent is issued um, then the the applicant gets a monopoly for a limited period of time on on that invention and the other half of the the bargain is is of course the applicant needs to, to disclose and describe his invention and basically, um, you know, make it available to the public. The purpose of this is to, um, you know, advance the welfare of the country. Right? You want the country to have access as a, you know, a matter of policy. You you want the um, you want the country to have to be able to use the technology that's being in, invented, and, and that's in the interest of of, of the country. So, um, so that's that's the deal. The government, and this is in the Constitution. It's one of the you know explicitly there. This is, I believe, from Thomas Jefferson. So, the country says, okay, we'll give you a limited monopoly. You know, if and when you um, tell us all about it and 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 so there is you know there is there there can be a bit of hesitancy there right you you've invented something clever you think it's great and you know you're you're being asked to disclose it so that that's all part of the grand bargain
0: if memory if memory serves too um that's actually the only time uh the word right appears in the constitution uh and it's and it's capitalized so uh, it was a, it was, it was seen as, <laughs> I, I didn't,
2: yeah. as rich given how, I didn't bad how bad. far the pen system has fallen.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it, it actually, it pre it, so it predates the bill of rights. It's the only time the word right was used in the constitution and it's capitalized. So I, it, clearly uh, um, you know, clearly the, the, the founders saw this as something very significant.
1: Right. Well, I mean, patents have a, have a, a history that precedes the United States. I mean, the, the hmm you know, there's, there's, mm-hmm. you know, systems in in Europe, which are very similar. Of course, they didn't have a, uh, you know, they didn't have a Congress, they had a king. And, but the basic idea was, was, was the same, you know, awarding a monopoly in order to encourage, you know, invention and technology coming, coming forward. The idea being if without that protection, then someone else could come along and copy you and take away your market and and the inventor you know would be left in the cold. So, yeah, I didn't know about it being capitalized. I mean that, that I mean it's sort of like you know in word right. You know you can bold it, you can underline <laughs> it, you can give it give it a color, you can make it italic. You, you know so. Anyway, I won't forget. Thank you, Josh. That was I'll, I'll use that again. I didn't I didn't know that
0: particular Yeah, new yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome.
2: And I think the other, you know, interesting part to note too in this patent application process, or kind of what is a patent application in, you know, especially in the startup world where it's more important. It gives companies the right to say patent pending um now of course you don't want to go ahead and share those contents until they are published unless you know you have some kind of kind of defined relationship or something with the other the other group but it allows you to kind of have that patent pending status which can kind of be a badge of honor for for companies and startups and so i think that's really interesting but again you know there is there is you know there's a timeline to all of this right there's you know, upwards of 18 months of uh, secrecy where it's not published. And then after that, then it becomes published and then it's published again when it issues and it will have the final claims at that time, the ones that have been granted as a result of prosecution that David was outlining. So I think that's also kind of important to know that there is kind of that secrecy period that also kind of gives you an advantage. And that's 18 months um, from your earliest date. So,
1: right. I mean, I, I, I mean, this is interesting because the the standard answer, the, you know, why why get a patent is just what I recited, right? You get the monopoly, and and and, and so on, but um, the the timeline is quite protra- protracted, right? Takes forever, and and what what happens much more quickly is the conversation with an investor or in, in, in investors. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think, I was thinking about this. I, I think they the investor discussion is, is particularly important to startups. You know, the, the application, I mean, it's almost like an advertisement, right? Okay. Here we are. It's a war dance. Look at what we did. You put out a press release and, and the point is to raise money and, and, and without that money, you don't go anywhere. You know, you you don't go anywhere soon.
0: I did want to kind of you know insert in there too that you know these ideas can't live in in vacuums early on, uh, especially in terms of talking to investors and and trying to solicit you know potential very valuable feedback. Um, but a lot of the people that you would talk to at that at that early stage, especially investors, are you know pretty hesitant about signing. NDA is given the, you know, given the handcuffs that come with those. And so, you know, seeking out that application, uh, especially a provisional, uh, you know, talk more about that later too, um, you know, really helps to give you some, some protection uh, around being able to disclose your idea without risk of um, hopefully without mitigating uh, idea theft risk uh, and also not shooting yourself in the foot around um, patentability right. later on um, up the road, and we've we talked about public disclosure quite a bit um, in past episodes. Recommend that, that folks check those out. Uh, all right, so we started kind of um, diving into this a, a smidge in the last question, but uh, you know, right after what a, a patent application is, uh, we should probably address who it's who it's for. Um, so, over the course of its life, an application is going to have multiple audiences, all with very different roles to play. Uh, and in different goals and consuming and interpreting that, that patent, who all might look at an application and why?
2: There's an investor component and there's an examiner component and those are going to be, you know, each individual is going to be looking at it to a different degree. Investors are probably higher level. um, You know, what, what generally, what kind of protections is this generally going to afford the company, the inventor, the technology, and the examiner with, with a much higher level of scrutiny because they need to assess it for various metrics um, based on the Patent Office rules and procedures. But then you know there's uh, additional layers there and that's the Patent Trial and Appeal Board that's in- important for appeal proceedings through prosecution or even post-grant proceedings. And then there are the court system uh, district court, schedule circuit, maybe even Supreme court, you know, so it's in that drafts person part. There, there's jurors too. Uh, if you're, jurors, the court, you're, you're, you're talking, yeah.
1: yeah, you're talking to lay, lay people, right. Right. That, that are, are, are yeah. Know, so there's
2: people. like multiple different layers there, you know, so you want to think about your invention from an inverted triangle perspective, right. Broad to narrow, but also in identifying, the problems that you're solving and what are those solutions and how do you describe those more generally? How do you describe them more specifically? What are alternatives? You know, what fields can different things be used in? Um, And so it's kind of just thinking about it from all these different angles from broad to narrow again and again and again to help, you know, and same with how you would define terms, which I think we'll probably talk about later, but how you define what certain things mean in the application as well should be with that lens of investors versus examiner versus judges and jurors and courts and PTAB. So, um, there's lots of different readers and it's not an easy thing to draft it to fit all of those narratives. Right.
0: Add to this too, because I think it's important for understanding some, some things that'll come up in a bit. And, You know, with the with ultimate goal of the patents, um, with the government's ultimate goal of the patents being, you know, uh, progressing, you know, science and useful arts, it seems to me like the ultimate intended audience. You know, obviously the obviously the patent office is huge, uh, investors are huge. Potentially someday up the road, courts of PTAB. But like, really, the ultimate intended audience is is a person skilled in the art, looking to build or build upon the idea. Correct.
1: I I'd say so. Right. I mean, that's what disclosure means. You you want the public you want it to be accessible to the to the public
2: it is important to point out though too that it shouldn't be i don't want i don't want to sound um, snooty in saying this but it shouldn't be dumbed down for anybody though because it still is meant for somebody of skill in the art right so i think that's where the inverted triangle comes in because it, it should be understandable by people generally in the public, but it's really is geared towards somebody of skill in the art. So you yes, don't want to have this a very complex mechanical device or complex software that you read it. And you're like, how is this complex? You know, it sounds like a mental process. It sounds like an abstract idea, which is what the, the patent office would say. So it's that understanding that you want to, there to be some level of understanding by jurors or lay people or something like that but you also are still writing for somebody of skill in the art so that they can take it and build upon it
0: it blows me away a little bit though that it is written for someone skilled in the art but it passes through so many hands along the way who potentially are not who who have a pretty out, outsized impact on you know like the ultimate validity of of that thing it's kind of it's kind of crazy right that the ultimate audience isn't necessarily the the gatekeeper uh of, of the thing's long-term validity
1: yeah i mean it's sort of impossible to do perfectly because you, you don't know which way it's going to go i mean as a patent writer you you, you just you, you, you do your best and and, and and you you hope for the best and and there's lots of things that are unforeseeable yeah you, you know another thing i i that, that that occurred i mean i think about this um, you know in, in a way the patent literature is, is one of the great libraries of of the world right if 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 you and and it's free. I mean, it, it's really kind of amazing. I mean, I mean, there's this huge literature, and you know, once you know how to search, and or you have someone searching for you, you know, you, you you can learn everything, right? I mean, and it's free. It's like it's it's like you know, the Library of Alexandria, right? I mean, it's kind of I I think it's underappreciated. You you, you know the the amount of knowledge that, that is, is, is stored in, in, you know, the collective patent literature. I mean, I include world, I mean, I, we're sort of focusing on the United States, but, you know, every country has its, um, its patents. I, I just wanted to sort of toss that in as, as, as a reflective comment and, and appreciation in that you don't really hear.
2: Yeah. And actually, you know, to build upon that and to contrast that, David, you know, coming from the the academic world myself, where, you know, you're, you know, because patents are the cutting edge in theory of technology. And so is academic research, right? Or research in general. But, you know, in the academic setting, you submit, I mean, it's it's different, right? Because in the academic setting, you're submitting your latest and greatest research, whatever, to an academic journal. They're reviewing it kind of like an examiner. And then, um, but then they, you know, charge you a ton of money, kind of not unlike the patent office, I guess, to to publish it. But then it becomes, it goes behind this paywall that you can't get access to. Very few journals are freely accessible, right? Most of them put their content, yeah, absolutely. Like the content that I gave them behind the paywall, which were the point I can't even access it, right? Whereas the patent system, right. you're still paying money, somebody's still reviewing it, but like you said, it's, you know... Out there
1: and available, and, and just to, to second um, Ashley's comment, you, you know, all these academic journals—I uh, mean, they cost millions of dollars, right? And, uh, and and you know, you can get access to them, you know, if you're in the university. But for the general public, you, you know, this all that is, is very difficult to get. So, anyway,
0: no, it's a it's What's, a great point. It's a great, it's a great point. Um, love the, especially about the, um, you know, being one of the great, great libraries of the world. And I think that also serves as a, a wonderful segue to our next question, uh, which is, you know, for someone who's never looked at an application at a very high level, what kinds of things can, can I learn from a patent application?
1: Well, one, one thing that I was going to say, which is relatively trivial, but if, if you look at if you look at the application i mean there's the standard fields and and you'll 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 see some of them on the front page there's there's the, the inventors it it it's their institution or their company uh, it's the title it's the abstract it's a picture but if if you i mean what frankly one of the places to start is with the background you know cuz cause, cause, cause the background is intended to orient you is to you know this invention fits within this this background now you have to keep in mind that this is the inventor's view of the background so it, you know it, it it's not necessarily objective it, it it's how they want you to see it but if you're looking for an easy entree Often it helps just just to read the background because you know you're not going to get challenged. It's going to sort of set you up, and you know, and, and then you sort of know where 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 it's headed. But the th- I mean, the things that we we've mentioned all these these various fields before. There's there's the title. There's the abstract. There's there's the 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 the, the pictures i mean if you think about it a patent application is really just two things it's words and pictures right or or words and 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 data and uh, and they they should come together and fit and each you know be consistent with each other the um the entire point I mean, leaving aside investors and everything else, the entire point is to support the claims and 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 the claims are, are are found at the end, and that's you know if you're really getting you know down down into the weeds, you need to look at the claims. they're at the end, and you sort of need to get you know you, you need to surrender to the 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 strange language of claims. And, and that's, you know, that's the name of the game is is what is being claimed that that's the, the territory that, you know, if, if the, if the application is granted and, 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 and the claims issue, then, then that's what the inventor has a monopoly on. So is that sufficient, Josh, or, or should we drill down on anything? More?
0: No, I mean, uh, I, th- I think that, I think that hits on a lot of it. Um yeah, I can, I can, the, the issue date is in there, right? Which, um, you know, that can, that, oh, can, help, yeah. you know, yeah. that can help give a, a clue yeah. as to, you know, how long, how long the patent could be enforced. Correct.
2: I mean, there's the, there's the filing date and then there's the issue date. So a oh, patent sorry, term sorry. is calculated from the earliest non-provisional filing date. So your provisional year is free. And so that's 20 years from that earliest non-provisional filing date. And then the issue date is when the patent actually becomes enforceable. Right now, that doesn't mean that there's some different things where it could, it might be enforceable earlier on. Like if it published with the same claims that it issued with you know, in theory, some damages could be go back to that publication timeframe. But suffice it to say, the issue date, the first date, it comes online for enforceability, right? And so um, those two dates are important for understanding, you know, because then also, if you calculate the rough expiration date, you know, if you say it's, you know, January 1st of 2000, you know, it's going to expire, generally speaking, January 1st, 2020, then you know when it's going to expire. So then you know when potentially it's not a problem anymore.
0: Right. So we've got the, we've got the when of the dates. We've got the who of, um, you know, inventors who are involved and, uh, you know, ownership, which is potentially not necessarily the same, the same thing. Um, uh, Any prior art that was dug up is going to be in there. Uh, Drawings, of course, he said it's it's words and drawings. And then, and then the words, um, you know, ultimately that, that written description, you know, aimed at enabling one in the skill of the art, skilled in the art um, to be able to, um, I believe the, uh, the, the the legal language is, is reduced the idea to practice without undue experimentation. Is that, is that right?
1: It's close enough, right? You want to practice. You could just say practice, right. <laughs> practice the invention. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So sort of a, Do it. sort of a, the, it's like the, it's like the idea recipe, right?
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, the more ambiguity is a in the recipe,
2: recipe. <laughs> <laughs> Where the recipe says it could be a teaspoon, it could be a cup, but it might preferably be a tablespoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A pinch, you know? Uh,
1: a pinch of salt, you know. <laughs> yeah. The
0: uh the competitive advantage of ambiguity. Yes. Right. All right. So let's let's flip that last one around then. Um, what kinds of important Patent-related details might I not find in an application. Things that could be useful, maybe things I would expect to see that that aren't.
1: Yes, it, it, it's true. The patent application or the in the published patent itself doesn't tell you everything. And and in, in for example, if you want to know, I mean, if you really want to know, you know, um, who's involved and who said what and. And 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 you know the the whole nine yards. Then you simply need to go to another database. And there's something you know that every patent practitioner uses at least once a day, and that's 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 another patent office um, database. It's called PAIR. It, that's an acronym: P A I R. P Patent Application Information Retrieval. So that also is 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 free. It, it it's less easy to to search if you're using so so jo so you know we we'll mention a few websites and, and anyone listening I mean you can try to take notes but if you, if you really want to get the address you know you can you can email Josh and and he'll send you the address so I will I will, incl- I will include
0: right. all reference links in the show notes as well so they'll be right at our oh line.
1: okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you, yeah, there's, there's lots of things that, that, I mean, in a way the patent office doesn't really care so much about who the assignee is And, 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 owners of a patent, they're not really bound to tell the patent office, you know, if they've licensed it or, or, or sold it. So, so assignee information uh, by way of example, it is something that is difficult to know, you know, without calling up the inventor or the company and and just asking them, you know, it, 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 it that's elusive. Now, one of the other things, okay, the expiration yeah. They're, so there 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 are paid databases. I mean, I subscribe to a relatively inexpensive database, and you'll get other. You you can find out, you know, are the maintenance, yeah, maintenance fees. I mean, this is another thing that people don't think about. But you have to pay the patent office to keep your your you know your 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 um, uh, your issued application alive. So um, those are called maintenance fees. Has it expired? You can actually get um, you can get that on a number of different bases. The current owner, yeah, the current owner, like I said, is can be hard to find. Usually, you, I mean, if you really want to know, you you probably would need to go to, you know, one of these massive databases like LexisNexis. They probably would be the best source. Has it been invalidated, enforced, licensed, or sold? You could probably find that in, you know, in one of these massive databases.
0: I guess if I could synthesize that down, it's it sort of sounds to me like the, you know, the application is it's frozen in time, uh, at, at time of publication or issuance. And so, um, you yes, know, any, any you don't know what,
1: you don't know what happened later,
0: right? You don't know what happened later. Exactly. So those, you know, has it been kept active? Has it expired? Who currently owns it? Invalidated enforced licensing, any of those kinds of post publication, post issuance things, uh, not going to, not going to find it in there.
1: Right. Yeah. Applications and, and, and publications, they're, they're they're frozen in in time they're they're true at that moment they could change the very next day you know especially like you know assigning who owns it is, is the thing which is probably the most elusive so yes
0: and i guess we i guess we just recently used these words but uh one point of confusion that we often see especially among inventors uh newer newer to the process is the difference between a published application. And an issued patent, could either of you speak to this distinction
1: well, like Ashley said um, the the published okay, you can look at the, the it, it's it's true this is a point of confusion, and you sort of need to look you know at the up upper right hand corner of the of the front page and it'll either say patent number or it'll say patent application number something like that it'll it'll tell you and and then Actually, the the quickest visual cue as to whether it's a published application or an issued patent is, is to look at the number, and and the, uh, the the published applications always start with a year. So if the number starts with you know 2017 slash you know digit digit digit, digit then that 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 that's an application. So um, the only difference between a published Go ahead.
2: Sammy, I think the the additional, you know, difference is just, you know, one's fluid and one's static to some degree, right? You can't in a patent application, you can't change the figures beyond the scope of the original application and the specification, but you can change the claims. In the issued right. patent, the claims are static, right? They're they're done, they've gone through the prosecution, they've yes. gone through examination. So um, you know, one is still in that bartering conversation process, the publication is, and then the issued is kind of post that process.
0: So, you know, prosecution obviously plays a big, a big part in this, right? So with the published application, you've got the the document that the you know the applicant filed. Um, that that kind of in, includes what the applicant wants, but the issued patent is the thing that has really like gone through the the machinery um of prosecution and it's kind of been like whittled down to what the examiner has has allowed is that correct yes
1: yeah the the, the all the figures all the, all the text uh, of the published application and 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 the, and the patent issued patent are the same i mean except for typos and and you know small mistakes that are picked up it's all the same except for the claims and and the difference is, you know, what you're looking there at is, you know, the aftermath of the argument be, be, between the examiner and, and the applicant. And, and you know, there can be a degree of compromise that basically the examiner wins. And what, what matters is at the end of the day, you know, in the formal sense is, um, is the claims as the issue in the... In the issue in the in the granted in the granted uh, patent, yeah. I mean the purpose. I mean part part of the reason you know that the that the application is published at all. I mean before it issues. I mean it, in a way this this harmonizes the U.S. with with the rest of the world, but also basically serves the the function. You know the constitutional purpose, which is to disclose. So. Um, I mean, that, that's just sort of a, a policy statement. You can, it is possible to, to not have your app, to, to, um, ask the patent office to not publish the application. And if you do that, then, um, you're, you're restricted to U.S. because the rest of the world, um, demands, um, you know, pu- publication demands disclosure right off the bat. So you can avoid that in the U S but um, what what you lose are, are your world worldwide application rights.
0: I think that's, I think that's worth underscoring too. We, we really like to flash, you know, danger signs, wherever they, wherever they exist, uh, especially things that might not seem in, intuitive. And I think this is one of those places where, you know, just, because you submit a patent application doesn't mean that you're going to get an issued uh, patent. Um, but without a non-publication right. request, even if that patent doesn't issue, um, your disclosure is going to become a published application, even though it is not a, a granted patent. So even though you don't get the protection, uh, the disclosure still happens uh, without, that, without that request. So that's definitely like a sharp oh, right. corner to be aware of right all right, so there are different types of patent applications for different scenarios. Could you briefly describe the types of applications and and when each would apply
1: well in in the u s there there's three basic types of applications there's a utility application, there are design patent applications and there are plant patent applications so um, the okay so the different let, 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 let's let's um, Compare and contrast. So utility versus design. A utility patent, I mean, this, this, when, when people talk casually about patents, they are almost always talking about utility patents. And, and the the word utility, uh, suggests that these are useful inventions. And, and that might sound trivial, but it, it is one of the requirements. And in, in compared to design patents, um, design patents are for uh, decorative purposes without um, claiming any particular um, use for example tire treads i mean if, if you take a class in patents and and they talk about uh, design patents um, tire treads are a good example right i mean tire treads that you know they they all look a little different there's this zag and that zag these are important for certain companies because they want you know their product to be recognized by its design and um plant patents well plant uh, i mean this is a very specialized area but it's very important for seed companies and you know co- commercial um you know roses and and peaches and stuff like that but um, like I said, you know, utility patents are, are the, the main event for most people, and there actually is another wrinkle. There's something like a, a, a baby utility. Uh, uh, the provisional often looks very much like a, a regular application, but it's it's not prosecuted, and it just stays in the patent office as a as a placeholder. It it it's a um, it, it you know it, it 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 records the fact that you have your invention in hand at the time of the filing of the provisional the provisional was something that was put in place some years ago in order to harmonize the us with every other country in the world because there were various differences regarding disclosure so it's very um it's very common now uh in, in fact there's practically no reason not to file a provisional a provisional um, the cost, the cost of filing is is, is basically zero or 130 dollars or something, and 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 um, and, it, and it needs to be replaced. That that's that that's the um, the verb that's used. It needs to be replaced by a regular application within within a year. So um, the purpose of a provisional is you know to avoid some of the you know, some of the hassle and some of the cost of um, filing a regular application and kicking the cost down the road. And it gives you a a chance to think about whether or not you really want to um, pursue it or not. Or if you want to add something, it's it's possible to add. You wouldn't get credit for the, um, you know, the priority date of the provisional. But um, I, I can tell you that that every regular application I've filed has been, you know, it starts with a, a provisional. It's temporary one year place order.
0: That's very helpful. And you know, I never I never appreciated the um where the utility name name came from. It makes a lot of sense. The other thing that always threw me too yeah. was that the, the 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 primary application is prefaced with a negative. So you know, you start with provisional, but the, the you know, the main event is the non provisional. And so where you want to go yeah. is led with a negative. And so that that always kinda tripped me tripped me up a little bit, um, and in and, in and I didn't
1: I didn't like yeah, I mean people started calling it non provisional. I'm not sure who started. I just say regular because I you I, I don't I also don't like the non provisional. I mean it it's, it's I, I always just call it regular application. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, it it's confusing. It it really is so. I mean, like you said, you know, design and and plat, plat, plant pet plant patents are definitely their own beast. And so, you know, we'll kind of save them probably for another another episode. And and the, for the rest of our conversation, we're going to focus largely on you know provisional and uh, utility uh, patents. So, without going in, into deep specific on this uh, deep specifics on the sections, which we'll we'll cover shortly, um, how much do provisional and non-provisional applications differ? In, in form, when we when we talk about the sections, you know, of an application coming up, do they both apply uh, pretty equally? Well, um, the,
1: the, the the thing about provisionals is is that there is there there there's no um, they don't enforce the format. Basically, um, a provisional it doesn't necessarily look like um a a, a regular application but and and early, when when provisionals first started um you know when they were first um came on the scene i think in 1996 um they were sort of abused you know that people would would take a picture of the whiteboard where they you know scribbled out their invention and file that right and, and um, you know, that that didn't work out so well because one of the – you can't really claim priority to a provisional unless, you know, what you're talking about is in the provisional. So, um, you know, the, the quick and dirty provisional had its day and um, I think scarcely exists anymore just because – you know, it wasn't working out very well. So, in general, I mean, the trend in law firms, and 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 I adhere to this too, is that you try to make the provisional look as much like the regular application as as possible. You might as well make your provisional look as much like the regular application as possible because, you know, you're 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 covering more ground. And it, it it forces you to think more deeply and and, and i in, in general, you know, if if the provisional it, it looks a lot like the regular, it it, it means that you know you've put your thought into it and um you know it it's it, it's more defensible and um you know if you want to show it to an investor, for example, it looks more real. So um the answer is what well, you know. What the how the difference in how they 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 look. It, it it's it's just hard to say. There's no there's no rule for the the format of a, a provisional. You can send in whatever you want, and, and, uh, and chickens may come home to roost. But um, anyway, my my practice, and I'm sure Ashley's practice, and most people's practice, is to make the provisional look, you know, look look like a regular application for the reasons I mentioned. So, um,
0: yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. You know, we talk a lot about kind of, um, you know, cocktail napkin fidelity, uh, you know, being required for, for provisional, but you definitely, um, you don't want to take that too far, like you said, and just send in a picture of the, yeah, little, you
1: don't want to take it. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't the take the napkin. napkin saying literally, literally that's just a <laughs> myth, you know, yeah. right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, don't do that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Like you said, a good, good forcing function. So now onto the, onto the actual anatomical breakdown uh, part we've all been waiting for yeah. here. Um, you know, as I understand that the four main parts of a, of a patent application are, are one, the front or cover pages, two, uh, the drawings, three, the specification, and four, the, the claims. Can you walk me through the purpose of each, uh, what we might find in each, and, you know, highlight any other, any other important subsections? Big question.
1: I sort of divide it up between words and pictures, right? I mean, um, you, want, you want the words and the pictures to fit together. They need to be consistent. And, and, and um, having said that, I mean, one of the purposes of, of figures know or or data uh, i'm i'm talking about figures mainly i mean you can always have data also but but you, you know you know they, they they say a picture's worth a thousand words and and so it, it depends on the subject matter right it, it, but for many many types of of, of applications the, the figures can basically function as a storyboard you should be able to You know, march. If you were going to explain your your invention to someone else, you should be able to just march through the figures. And and often, you know, figure one or one of the early figures is sort of a big picture. So figures vary in 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 terms of their level of detail. There's the, you know, you've you've all seen the picture. You know, here's our device. Here's the cloud. Here's the here's the server. Here's you know you know sort of big. Big picture cartoon of, of, of the whole thing, and 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 then you know it. You, you slice it up into smaller pieces, and and here you know here's a close up of this, and here it is from the top, and here it is from the bottom, and 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 and, and, and so on. So, um, but the big the, the big pieces like like we've mentioned there's there's there there's the 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 text, and uh, the various sections are the abstract. And the claims, and the rest of the written description, and 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 so um, I mean it's helpful to think of of how a, a patent application get gets written. And most people, and the way I write, it is that basically you start with the claims, right? Blank piece of paper, and you don't. I mean, you can you can start with the title, but um, you know, you start with the claims because that it's like in an academic paper. You know, things can change. But in general, if you're writing an academic paper, you you sort of know your conclusion. Right. And 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 you write the paper um with the intention of supporting the conclusion. So in a patent application where you want to end up with our claims. and And so that's where you start. You start you start at the end and and then from the claims um a couple other things follow uh the abstract should um should reflect the claims you know it it often the abstract is just a, a narrative version of of the first independent claim uh the summary which which comes along you know af- after the abstract well, depending on <laughs> it comes at the end of the application, but it's also on the on the front page but but the summary in general is a narrative version of of the claims so claims are written in kind of an arcane style and um, you know for readability and general consumption it, it you know the, the the claims can be converted into more conventional narrative so that's what what the summary is and then there's also a section called brief description of the of the figures or brief description of the drawings and and those are basically like figure legends you know figure one shows this and this and this usually the 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 paragraphs in the brief description of, of the the drawings are just one sentence and 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 so if you know if you're if you're reading the patent application is useful, okay. Here's a figure. You want to be also looking at the brief description, and 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 you know that's how to understand it. And um, and then in general, the 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 body of the uh, it, it's called the detailed description. Usually, this makes up up the bulk of the application, and and that's you know a, a narrative. I mean, there's no particular order, but in general and for readability, they the the written description follows the order of the figures. So, figure Figure one A B C show this and this and this, and you describe it, and and you know there's part numbers, and you just sort of march through the application, you know, explaining the figures and how it all fits together you know connecting one figure to the next and um oh there's the back. I mentioned this before right it, I the, the some you know some people really don't take the background seriously um but you know if 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 the patent application is written to be informative and respectful of the reader the the background is not a bad place to start you know it 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 tells you it gives you the context and and into that the um you know the invention should fit. Okay, this there's another word it's called specification. Specification actually is the application in its entirety, all the words, all the pictures. That's the specification. Yeah, does does that sort of uh cover yeah, the ba- basics? I, it's true. Sort of, I yeah. I think so. Yeah,
0: and you know, we're kind of we're kind of logically separating specification from claims a little bit in our discussion, um, mainly because there are a handful of, there are a handful of fields that you talked about, like the title and field of invention and, and, you know, background and summary and the description of drawings, the abstract, stuff like that, that a lot of, a lot of those things uh, in aggregate uh, sort of provide context for interpreting uh, the, the claims section. So they kind of, there's some, there's some utility I think in grouping those things together a little bit um, and helping to set the reader up for, for understanding the claims. And to the, to the best of my understanding, because this was actually a little bit of a surprise to me that, um, you know, in terms of establishing that context, because, you know, patents are describing new things. They actually provide some, some flexibility before you get into the claims uh, on how your terms are defined.
1: Yeah. I mean, mean, that is a, that that's part of the story. I, I mean, if you want to use an, a, a word in a particular way, then you can. I, I mean, if you're using it in an unusual way, then um, then you really need to e- e- explain it. Or you know, you know, occasionally there will be you know a, a patent application with a word you don't even know, right? And and um, so there is that freedom. Lexicographer, means you know you you can you can write your own words. The only the only um, the only I mean it won't work. I mean you can't call a fork a spoon, for example. You you can't you you, good, can't, good you know use you can't use an entirely wrong word. That that doesn't fly. In in general, um, the, the the patent application requires uh, not. Requires, it relies on um the plain meaning of the word especially to someone in, in the art i mean you don't have to define everything if it, if it's already well understood in the art and um so you don't need to define every technical word and in fact there are some people who who sort of purposefully don't define you know a word they think is well known because the concern is, well, one, you're, 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 you're taking up extra space and the other is, you know, maybe there's an exception. So if you define it and then you want to use it in a different way, then you're sort of stuck with what, what you have, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, The, the application is, you know, it's, it, it, it's a look into the mind of the inventor or or the, or the patent writer. And, and, and sometimes, you know, a new word or, 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 a word used in a slightly different way or, or, you know, a a word used, you know, in a way that, you know, may helps the invention to make sense. Then, then yeah, you're, you're your own lexicographer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's kind of nice, right? I mean, it's a, it's a good thing.
0: If you're trying to define things that are novel, non-obvious, effectively new, um, sometimes that comes with some new vocabulary.
1: Right. Or you can take an existing word and use it to your own particular uh end, right? I mean um a lot a lot of words, you know, they have different meanings and um you you know I mean you could have a little device that for whatever reason has a has a part that looks like a chimney, right? Well it's actually not a chimney. There's there's no <laughs> there's there's no smoke coming out of it or anything. But it looks like a chimney so then you can call it a chimney right i mean and, and and so, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of flexibility, but you just have to make sure you're being clear about what you're talking about
0: sure sure so let's let's talk a little bit more about claims. I think it's worth going a little bit deeper on um, on a handful of things just because it, you know it's it really is the it's the heart of the. It's, it, it comes at the end, right? But it really, you know, you talk about writing at it first. It's really the. It's the heart of the application. Um, I I heard you uh, once use a, a great metaphor about those with the with the old west. I, would you Would you mind sharing that? Especially <laughs> as we kind of as we as we break down some of this vocabulary, like why are some of these words y- used? Um, you know, I think sometimes that sometimes that history and some of the sometimes those those metaphors can be can be helpful.
1: <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah i mean the the metaphor I used or the analogy it it everyone has seen a western and and you know there's there's the the miner out there in the mountains digging a hole and he strikes it rich, and he drops his spade in his bucket and he runs into the into the claims office, right it's in town, there's a guy behind the desk, and he's he what he wants to do is lay claim to that mine. Which means that you know he can work it and and no one else can and and the reason you know he has that privilege is because he discovered it, so you go to the claims office you you would draw a map you know it you know it, it's between the lake and the mountains and the prairie, and uh there's this you know this landmark and and so on and and then you become more specific right you you draw a square, you draw a circle on the map around what what you're claiming so what you have there is you know you know you have the particulars of of the mine and you know and, and you you put it in a context so it in, in a way it, it, it it's the same way with with the uh with the patent. i mean in a way you know the entire written description you know it, it it's talking about your 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 device and or you know whatever it is you're invented, and you, you put it in a context. It can be used this way or it can be used that way, and and, and so on and so on. But um, but you need to become more specific and and, and 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 claim the boundaries. You know the the boundaries of of, of what you believe is your invention. So. So I mean, the old west, the mine. I mean, to me, it works extremely well. It, it, that, that's intuitive, and 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 it sort of transfers pretty directly into you know the role of role of the claims in, in the in the application. So uh, yeah, saying.
0: clear 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 de, clear delineation of the boundaries, right? I, I think it's um I think it's a great I think it's yes. a great visual, really great visual.
1: Yeah, yeah. So i mean the main purpose of of the claim is is to be able to exclude others right and and and, and so the the question of um, does does the claim exclude you know that other guy and and what he's doing right you you don't want people intruding on they, you don't want them infringing your property in this case your your property is intangible, it's it's a patent application. I mean it's a patent. So um what it comes down to is l- l- let's say you know, the inventor, the applicant, the company says, Hey, you know, that 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 product, you know, that that that, that looks a lot a lot like ours and and we think you're infringing. Well, so the the, the question the question comes down to the independent claim, and we we can talk about independent and dependent in in, in a second. But let's just call it the claim. And 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 so, um. In, you know, uh, uh, here's an example of a claim. I claim a gadget that includes piece A, piece B, and, and piece C. Uh, you know, a gadget including A, B, and C, and 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 so if you look at the, the 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 product that um you know you think is infringing you look at it and you ask the question does that does that device have everything that i've just claimed does it have a does it have b does it have a c does it fit together the same way if if the um you know if the if the if the other product has all of those elements then it looks like it's infringing. It, it, it's, it's that simple. It doesn't matter. You know, in, in this instance, it, it doesn't matter if the device also has D, right? My, you know, the inventor says, "My, you know, I, I, you know, it, it's true. It has A, B, and C, but it also has D." Well, I mean, that's great. Then you should apply for a patent application for A, B, C, and D. But the fact remains it has A, B, and C. So that that that's sort of how the the the, the claims are are used in in um you know, in in, in in guarding your monopoly and exercising your right to exclude. Going back to the one of the things I first mentioned, you don't really have the right patent application really doesn't Sorry, a patent does give you the right to, to to practice your invention, but it gives you the right to exclude others from what you have have claimed. So, I mean that that's a nuance that, that that's difficult to grasp. Actually, and and um, but that that's the deal with with claims.
0: One thing I want to go back to a little bit because it's still something it's a it's a point of confusion in my mind. So I suspect that it could be. The same for you know for some for some folks in the audience, but yeah. you were talking a little bit around about infringement um, with claims. I'm I'm sure this is a huge topic um, that could be probably many episodes uh, of its own. But the I guess the thing that's not super clear to me is you know if you write a claim and it claims things A, B, and C. Uh, what you know, what does constitute infringement? Does somebody have to infringe upon a, B, and C, or can they just infringe on some portion of those? Um, at, at what point can I say someone is in fact infringing upon my claims?
1: If someone is infringing on your claims, that means that you believe that that they are they are practicing a, B, and c. they're 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 doing the entirety of of the independent claim everything that that that's that's the deal
0: interesting so if if someone were just to take a look at my patent and piecemeal out just a and b um on the path to doing some to doing something else i wouldn't have very strong grounds for an infringement suit at that point
1: if they're only doing a and b they're not doing c then they're not infringing that that that's the That that that's true. That that's that's the answer.
0: Interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: this is why there's so much writing on on the claims. Particularly, uh, we need to. I need to explain the difference. I keep saying independent claim, and that that's in contrast to dependent claims. But you know, ninety percent of the intellectual exercise is writing the claims, and it's because you're trying to foresee um you know the these eventualities right you uh you 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 you're, you're trying to write the claim so as to capture as many possible infringers as you can so um just wanted to make the point i mean the the, the writing the claims is the main intellectual effort of writing a a patent application and and inventors um you know, once inventors sort of catch on, they, they begin to think in terms of claims also. So um you know just as a as a central intellectual organizing practical principle, most of the focus is on on the claims. So let me explain something else, because I, I I mentioned this briefly there's independent claims and there's dependent claims. So an independent claim almost always starts with the with a, a an indefinite article a you know or an you know a gadget a gadget having so it's not really re- referring to some specific um you know individual gadget it's talking about a general gadget so you you got your gadget you know with with a b and c that's what you're claiming as your independent claim, but that's not really the end because it, 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 it's true. I mean, your gadget might also include D, right? But you don't regard D as being really that essential to the invention. So you could have a dependent claim where you would say, you know, the, the gadget. So notice I've switched from the independent claim was, was a uh, dependent claim claim two, the gadget. Of claim one, further including D. So, what's required in your invention, and 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 what you would be looking for as an infringer would be all the elements of the independent claim. The dependent claims sort of recite options; they're not necessarily a um, uh, part of your invention. At least they're not part of the independent claim. Um, and an infringing product wouldn't, you know, as long as it had A, B, and C, it would be infringing. So trying to summarize, the independent claim is the very bare bones of your invention, and it distinguishes from the prior art. It's new, it's different, and here's the basic elements. It can also include, you know, these optional elements, and those, and those, you know, come on as as dependent claims. So typically. I mean, a conventional patent application, you might have, you know, one independent claim and 20 dependent claims. The dependent claims all follow from the uh, independent claim.
0: This is a lot. Yeah, this is a lot
1: to absorb. It is. Um, but
0: but I, David, I pre- that was such a great explanation. And I'm glad that we talked about uh, independent and dependent claims after we talked about uh, in infringement, because that's actually the, the clearest, um, explanation I've heard. It's the clearest it's ever been, you know, in, in my head. And I hope, I hope too, that folks <laughs> listening appreciate, you know, that you think about a pet, you think about the word application and, and the word form comes to mind and when the word form comes to mind. Um, you know, you, you think about like just kind of monotonous, tedious, uh, data entry and, there is just there's so much art and so much strategy uh, that goes into this at every step uh, along the along the way, um, and so so anyway, um, yeah. I I don't again before I kind of got into this world, I don't think I fully I fully appreciated that. But there's like so much art, so much strategy, so much nuance, and you know those those little decisions that are made now can have uh, huge impacts on. On the like the long term viability of of this patent in terms of your ability to uh, defend your rights uh, in terms of infringement um, and and your ability to uh, retain your rights uh, if ever faced with uh, you know invalidation and all these all these things flow flow into that.
1: I'm glad I, I'm glad it was helpful. I mean I can tell you the the next time you look at a patent application or a patent you, 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 you you'll feel more at home.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. You got your you got your patent, you will. patent utility belt now. Um, so we did we 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 hinted at some of this a little bit earlier, but I just want to make sure because I I like folks to to leave with you know really strong, uh, you know, useful, useful takeaways. So we've we've talked a lot about what you could find in a patent. Um, so where where all because it's this public public resource, right? So where all can I find patents and get get access to this wealth of information?
1: I think that Google patents is, 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 is the best place to start. It's free. It, it, um, uh, there, there's, there's two levels to the site. Um, One is just, I I forget it. Just, you know, just like the conventional um, Google search bar, you you put in whatever keywords you you want there. There's an advanced um, form of, of it you you it'll it'll be there on the page you know another link go to the go to the advanced and um it has different fields in a way this is this is where you know knowing the anatomy um of the the patent becomes helpful because the, the patent is, is is built up section by section and and if you're looking at a search site they're called fields so for example there's a field for the abstract and so you can you know search for search for your keyword in in abstracts or you could be looking for a company right what what you know what is the Acme you know Acme plumbing company what what have they invented recently so then you can search for the assignee or maybe you know you know an inventor so then you can search on the inventor name that that's how you how you, you find stuff. So, I mean, there is a cost to searching, right? Because Google, you you know, as, as good as it is, it, it, it's, it's, it, it is limited compared to these larger subscription databases, which, which, you know, give you more fields and more detail and, and on and on. So, I mean, the patents are free and you get the PDF and, and, but, you know, actually finding them takes a little bit of work, but, um, yeah, it's paid databases and it's Google and there may be one or, or two other, um, search sites.
0: And then of course there's the, uh, you know, searching with the directly with the USPTO, right? Uh, USPTO.gov, Um, and then, um, access to public pair, um, as well. I think you need to have the serial number yeah. at that point before you can dig into public pair. Um, so you have to kind of use one of the, the searches, um, first to get to that to get to that
1: point yeah yeah correct yeah prepare you need you need the serial number or the publication number i mean you, it's just yeah you, you you sort of need to know it already to, to 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 get the the full dossier you know from from pair they they divide it up by the way they, be, be, be between issued patents and 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 patent applications so that's yeah, I mean, this sort of goes back to what I was saying. I mean, it's such a resource. I mean, it's free. It's like the Library of Alexandria. But, you you know, you sort of need how to, you know, how to work it.
0: Yep, yep, for for sure. Um, and like you said, too, of course, you can use, you know, practitioners and, um, you know, search firms like, like ours, too, for results, access to more databases and some you know, some expert analysis sprinkled on top of that. So like we mentioned, some of the stuff is, you know, behind paywalls and things. Um, So just kind of depends on how how deep, how deep you want to uh, go. But there are always, there are always more options. All right. I think that, I think we got, I think we got everything. Um, We got everything. And and then some, unless either of you can think of anything else that I didn't ask, that seems like a pretty solid primer um, to me on, on patent anatomy. Thank you both so much for your time. Um, I think this context is going to be incredibly valuable, uh, especially for folks newer to the process. And uh, selfishly, uh, I know I got a lot out of it.
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I mean, I mean, even, even, you know, even for me and for Ashley, you know, it's good to, you know, go back to basics right now and then, and just, you you know, just, you know, Read the good book, you know. What <laughs> let's talk about the Consti- let's talk about the constitution, right? There's a there's the word right, yeah, and it and it's capitalized. I mean I you know, so yeah, it, it's a good exercise. The
0: uh the pat the patent gospel according to David and Ashley.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the gospel. Like That's the word. Yeah, right.
2: Well, perfect. Well take care, everybody. All right, thanks. Oh,
1: thank you too. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, that's all for today, folks. Thanks for listening. And remember to check us out at aurorapatents.com for more great podcasts, blogs, and videos covering all things patent strategy. And if you're an agent or attorney and would like to be part of the discussion or an inventor with a topic you'd like to hear discussed, email us at podcast at aurorapatents.com. Do remember that this podcast does not constitute legal advice. And until next time, keep calm and patent on.